DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. Dr. Lillis is also the author of Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, a Theological Contemplation of Prayer. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lillis, we reflect on the writings of Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. Her retreat, entitled The Last Retreat, is the source of our current reflection. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Anthony, thank you so much for joining me. It's wonderful to be with you, Chris. On this day, on this seventh day, where where should we be in the retreat with Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity? Well, one of the themes that I've talked about a couple times, and I, I just want to remind you of as we go through, Elizabeth of the Trinity, her thought theologically is like Mozart's thought. Mozart, they say, thought in music. And Elizabeth of the Trinity thinks in musical terms. In one of the earlier sessions, I talked about the harmonic weight of her ideas. She keeps on coming back to the same thing again, but she kind of shows us different colors of this truth by approaching it with a different weight of ideas. And today, the idea under which she's going to help us open our hearts to the, the living presence of God living presence of Christ in our life, she's going to use an image from the Psalms. It's a line, the heavens are telling the glory of God. She's going to dwell on this Psalm, explain what it means in terms of our spiritual life and how God is present and what he's doing in our spiritual life. Celi inarrant glorium Dei. This is what the heavens are telling, the glory of God. Since my soul is a heaven in which I live while awaiting the heavenly Jerusalem, this heaven too must sing the glory of the Eternal, nothing but the glory of the Eternal. Day to day passes on this message. All God's lights, all his communications to my soul are this day which passes on today the message of his glory. The command of the Lord is clear, sings the psalmist, enlightening the eye. Consequently, My fidelity in corresponding with each of his decrees, with each of his interior commands, makes me live in his light. It too is a message which passes on his glory. But this is the sweet wonder. Yahweh, he who looks on you, is radiant, the prophet exclaims. The soul that by the depths of its interior gaze contemplates its God through everything in that simplicity which sets it apart from all else 
is a radiant soul. It is a day that passes on today the message of his glory. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and if we look to the heavens, what we see in the heavens, if we look at it with biblical eyes, we see light and darkness, day and night. And this is the first day of creation. It's the first thing you notice about creation. And just as days and nights pass through the heavens, so too do days and nights pass through our souls. Elizabeth of the Trinity then is teaching us to see that whether we are receiving consolations or whether there is suffering and difficult hardships that we must confront, God is in control of the whole thing. And if we live this way, the more we live this way, keeping our eyes fixed on God, the more radiant we, we become in our hearts. When you talk about the, the days and the nights in our souls, do you think it's possible that we really don't have an appreciation of, say, the dark night? Sometimes I hear people referring to it when someone is maybe more depressed than actually going through a dark night. Well, Do you know where I'm going with that? Yeah, and we'll get to explore the night a little bit deeper, but let me address this this question. You know, what's the difference between the dark night and, say, depression? Well, mm -hmm. it's a little bit tricky because sometimes the Lord allows us to suffer depression to bring us into the dark night. So it's not a kind of either-or sort of thing where you can just say, oh, uh, they're just depressed. Sometimes mistakes like that can be made. On the other hand, you can make the other mistake. You can assume that because you're depressed, you're in a, some sort of spiritual dark night. Instead of doing some basic things to take care of yourself, you maybe beat yourself up spiritually and make your depression worse. And so there's a little bit of a need, and I think this is the point of your question, for discernment. What exactly is going on in my heart? And here's the thing about this. No one can discern the night from depression completely by themselves. They need spiritual friends. They need their confessor. They need a, if they don't have a spiritual director, it would be best if they had a spiritual director, but sometimes they're just not available. So you mm -hmm. need somebody whose counsel and whose prudence you can rely on. And that means kind of going out and, and getting help because there's not a lot of people who are prudent about the spiritual life. And so it requires a little bit of searching for those souls who have prudence. And I know it's kind of a hard struggle. I know there's not a lot of people out there. Maybe some of the listeners uh, to this are wondering, gee, is this even a possibility? But the, the reality is every saint had to look for other holy souls to help him or her discern what was going on, what God was doing in their heart. You just can't discern it by yourself because the way we see ourselves is distorted. We suffer under the ignorance that is the effect of sin, so we can't see what's going on inside. On the other hand, the general rule for distinction is that if you are in a state of grace and if you have been into the practice of prayer and you are not backsliding into sin, but you're maintaining the discipline of the spiritual life, sometimes the Lord allows you to suffer all kinds of exterior and interior trials to bring you into this place called the dark night. And as this reflection unfolds, we're going to see why 
this dark night is such a beautiful and special grace. But the Lord does this to, to certain souls, and his purpose for doing this is he wants their faith to be as pure and as strong as fire-tried gold. And so that means in order to purify and strengthen our faith, he's, he needs to put us through a little bit of a crucible. And as you suffer the crucible, sometimes what happens in the midst of that is everything you thought you understood about the spiritual life, you no longer understand. And all the feelings that you were relying on before, you can't rely on them anymore. Uh, they're not sufficient anymore. And you feel like you're completely vulnerable completely kind of spiritually naked before whatever it is God is doing. And sometimes in that vulnerability, you even feel like when you're in prayer, like you're completely wasting your time and that maybe even you've done something to displease God. When you have those kind of things going on inside your heart, it's very important to talk to people who know something about the spiritual life, who know something about you, so you begin to discern whether or not God is has begun a great and beautiful work in the depths of your heart, something that is really beautiful and rare in this world. And I, I believe that a lot of souls are, are called to it, but because they don't have the help they need and they don't get good counsel, sometimes they squander the gifts that they are given. So all of that isn't to answer your question. We'll, we'll explore the difference between desolation and dark night and consolation and so forth as, as we move on. What I find beautiful here is that this passage, this opening passage, assumes a couple beautiful things. The first thing is that the heaven in our soul is to be commensurate with the heaven of glory where God dwells. What is Elizabeth of the Trinity's theological reasoning is just as God dwells in the heaven of glory, he dwells in the heaven of my soul. And so she sees an analogy between God's indwelling in our souls and God's presence in glory. And on the basis of that relationship, she is going to argue that we need to make our souls more and more like the heaven of glory, a heaven that is all about the glory of God, where there is nothing but the glory of God, uh, a heaven where there is nothing but love, the love of God uh, freely poured out. So that's the first thing. And the second thing that's that's kind of um, outstanding in this passage is the fact that God is communicating to us, that he speaks to us. And what she doesn't mean in speaking to us is that we hear voices all the time. But it is interesting, Catherine de Hewitt Doherty, the foundress of Madonna House, she believed the Lord spoke to her a series of little sentences that she began to write down. Things like, arise, therefore, uh, go into the hearts of others. And, and they were just little short phrases. She felt the Lord put the phrases on her heart. I don't know if she heard an audible voice. I, I kind of doubt she did. But what, what happens sometimes in prayer is that a thought occurs to you. And as you think about this thought that has occurred to you, it's so beautiful and so deep and so rich when you think about it, it leads you into an awareness of God's presence. And that's what I think happened to her. When you have that happen, when there's a scriptural truth, a couple weeks ago we had a reading from the Acts of the Apostles where it talked about the evangelization of a jailer. Uh, St. Paul was in jail 
the gates opened up. There was an earthquake. The gates opened up, and and the jailer was ready to kill himself. And uh, Saint Paul pleaded with him, "Don't kill yourself, because in Roman law, if your prisoners escape, you have to pay the penalty, which is death." Mm. Don't kill yourself. We're all still here. We none of us left. The jailer asked Saint Paul, "You know." Uh, what do I need to do to be saved? But St. Paul answered it spiritually. He was immediately keyed into the fear behind the man's question. And he answered that fear with a word of hope. Believe in Jesus Christ and you and your family will be saved. Now, we've heard words like that. Evangelical preachers preach those words to us and people intellectually assent to them. But what if right now today there's a a mom or dad out there who is really, really worried about uh, their son or daughter? Their son or daughter has gotten involved with an addiction or a lifestyle that is very, very perilous and dangerous for their salvation. What mom or dad wouldn't feel anxiety or fear if something like that would happen? Well, Christianity doesn't stop on the level of that kind of fear. Christianity invites us to go into prayer. When we feel fears like that, we can go into prayer and complain to the Lord. Lord, I am afraid for my son, or I am afraid for my daughter, or I am afraid for my mom or for my dad. I'm a, I have fear for them because of what they've chosen. Can you help me? We're just like the jailer talking to St. Paul. And I believe that the Lord speaks into that fear, not with audible words, not words that we hear, and sometimes not even with English words that we can repeat back, but they're kind of words of the heart. And these words of the heart speak directly into that fear. The scriptures help us see and articulate those words of the heart. For example, for, for some who are afraid of, for the salvation of someone they love very much, a family member, the words of St. Paul to the jailer, believe in Jesus Christ and you and your whole household will be saved. Those are powerful words. When Elizabeth of the Trinity is saying, all God's lights, all his communications to my soul are this day that which passes on today, the message of his glory. She's talking about exactly those kinds of words of the Lord spoken in our heart. And they're not all the time words that we can give human speech to, but they're a hope that is communicated to us so that even in the midst of fears, in her case, she's suffering an agonizing illness leading to her death, riddled with all kinds of overwhelming fears and pain and suffering. And she is saying that while she's experiencing this, Jesus is speaking to her heart, and he hasn't abandoned her. And each one of her words leads her from one truth into a deeper truth into a deeper truth. All God's lights, all his communications are this day which passes on to day, the message of his glory. Anthony, from what I hear you saying, that word and really, really listening, is it 
similar in a fashion to what some of the saints have called the, like an intellectual a vision or a kind of an, it, wasn't it St. Teresa of Avila who said that you can't describe it, you can't, it's not something you hear with your ears, it's not something you see with your eyes, but you just, it is so evident to your soul. It can include that kind of experience. Usually the, when she was describing that, she's speaking about kind of an infused knowledge of the faith that sometimes you get in prayer. Elizabeth of the Trinity seems to have had that kind of experience. It, that kind of experience alone can explain the wisdom she has in her writings because, well, she didn't really get to study past uh, very basic high school studies. So there was no way to account for her theological formation, but, and yet when we read her, her writings, they're beautiful. So she's obviously receiving something like that from the Lord in prayer. But it's not just that. Elizabeth of the Trinity here singles out what she calls interior commands. Consequently, my fidelity in corresponding with each of his degrees, decrees with each of his interior commands makes me live in his light. What does she mean by that? If I could give an example, and I think in our family sometimes there is disagreements that can happen. And in the middle of disagreements, a lot of different kinds of rash judgments can be made. And sometimes in the midst of those rash judgments, words, very hurtful words, can sometimes be said. When you find yourself in the middle of the firestorm with uh, judgments going on and words flying out and hurtful things being whipped out at each other, sometimes, have you ever noticed in the middle of that, there's a little command from the Lord that says something along the lines of, stop it now. Mm-hmm. A little word that says, don't say anymore. What you're saying will not help the situation anymore. Now, mm-hmm. many, many times when we hear that little interior command, that voice of conscience uh, speaking in the depths of our heart, many times when we hear that voice, we ignore it. And when we mm-hmm. ignore it, we're not living in the light that Blessed Elizabeth is talking about. When we, out of obedience of faith, attend to what God is saying in our conscience in those very hot moments and humbly bite our lip, apologize, attempt to be reconciled with a person that we have rashly judged or has rashly judged us. When we do that, the world would say, oh, you're making a fool of yourself. You're letting them take advantage of you. You shouldn't let them get away with that. And those tapes play in our head. Mm-hmm. But this deeper voice has commanded us, and if, and if we recognize the voice of Christ in that movement of our conscience, what happens is we open up our hearts and we make space for God to act through us. And making space for God to act through us doesn't mean that we win every artic- uh, argument. It means losing the arguments most of the time. It doesn't mean that we put people in their place. Oftentimes it means allowing other people to put us in our place and then humbly continuing on our way and not engaging the fray. When we do that with love, not resignation and not despair and not hopelessness, but with love, trusting that God is in control of the situation, trusting that he's going to prompt me to say what needs to be said when it ought to be said, but right now what I'm saying isn't helping, trusting him. 
Elizabeth is saying that we become a radiant soul. And so do you see that what you were talking about with Teresa of Avila in terms of these interior visions of the truth, an infusion of divine knowledge that kind of helps you have a deeper understanding of what we believe, that could be this kind of communication. But oftentimes this kind of communication is a very, very simple invitation from the Lord to either withdraw from conflict or to say the loving word or to go into prayer or to do some other deed of mercy. It's a little movement that's placed on your heart and you just know it's the right thing to do. We can resist those or we can sanction those. And when we sanction those, it allows the glory of God to shine through us. And that's why she calls these souls uh, who are attending to the voice of the Lord, who are saying yes to his communications and his promptings. She, she calls these souls radiant souls. They're filled with the the light and the glory of God shines through them. And so what happens then in a radiant soul, a radiant soul becomes part of the day that it, it is experienced. When you say yes to the communication of the Lord, you become a source of daylight for everyone around you. Everyone around you receives the message of his glory. And that's kind of one of the deep truths Elizabeth is trying to help us see here. Shall we go on to the second paragraph? Night to night announces it. How very consoling that is. My weaknesses, my dislikes, my mediocrity, my faults themselves tell the glory of the eternal. My sufferings of soul or body also tell the glory of my master. David sang, how shall I make a return to the Lord for all the good he has done for me? This, I will take up the cup of salvation. If I take up this cup, crimsoned with the blood of my master, and in holy joyous thanksgiving, I mingle my blood with that of the holy victim, it is in some way made infinite and can give magnificent praise to the Father. Then my suffering is a message which passes on the glory of the Eternal. Elizabeth of the Trinity invites us to see a particular dimension of night. John of the Cross, when he talked about night, he mainly was concerned about the purifying effects of night. He was also concerned about the encounter with Jesus that happens in the night, and that really can't happen in any other way until the Lord leads us into the night. He was very concerned uh, about that. And that second movement, there's purification, but then there's the encounter with Christ. This one kind of touches on what Elizabeth is bringing out. Elizabeth develops this a little bit more, and in her theology of night, the night I undergo in terms of my sufferings, in terms of entering into experiences that are very difficult that I don't understand, both exteriorly and interiorly in my heart, these experiences can become a moment of deep identification and unity with Christ if I, by an act of faith, 
choose to endure this suffering, this hardship, has a participation in Christ's work of redemption. When I do that, Christ is extending his redemptive mystery through me. Uh, theologians call this participatory mediation, uh, participating in Christ's work of mediating. Mediating what? Mediating the work of salvation to humanity so that humanity can find the Father. And, and so when we apply that here, Elizabeth is saying, for the soul that is suffering right now, either physically or mentally, this physical or mental or spiritual or psychological suffering that is being undergone, if it is submitted to Christ Jesus in faith, Jesus will unite this to his own suffering. He will take the blood that you are pouring out figuratively or maybe quite literally and unite it to his blood that was poured out for the glory of the Father. And he will use your suffering to do something beautiful in the church. So it's a, a very powerful uh, image of this difficult experience we can have in the spiritual life when we don't understand what God is doing and why he's letting us or a loved one suffer the way they are. Is that also connected with what St. Paul would tell us about how we make up what's lacking in the suffering of Christ? Yes, and in fact, on the sixth day, that was the very last thing we thought about together. In paragraph 16 on the sixth day, she had already told us what a going out from self this applies. What a death. Let us say with St. Paul, I die daily. The great saint wrote to the Colossians, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And then she goes on. O blessed death in God, O sweet and gentle loss of self in the beloved being, which permits the creature to cry out, I live no longer I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in this body of death, I live in the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So to live in faith of the Son of God means to believe in what he did and seek to configure our lives or to allow our lives to be configured to what he did. And what did he do? He gave himself up for me. He loved me and gave my, himself up for me. So what does that mean we need to do with our lives? We need to love God and give ourselves up for him. And in this paragraph that we just looked at, uh, paragraph 18 in the seventh day, she's saying that you can do this not only with the great works that you do, but you can do this with your weaknesses and with your dislikes and with your mediocrity and with your faults. Even your faults can become an occasion in which you learn to die to yourself uh, and live for Christ, which means to love, to love Christ and to love those Christ has entrusted to you and to give yourself up for Christ and for those Christ has entrusted to you. So it's a powerful and very consoling thing. In Christianity, it's not our great feats where our faith is accomplished, where God's glory is manifest. It's actually in our failures and when we fall short. In the midst of the faults and the falling short and the things we dislike and the hardships, choosing to love God. That's the beauty, the greatness of our religion is that anything can happen, but by faith, nothing can stop us from receiving the love of God and receiving that love of God, becoming a, a beacon of, of hope and of love for others. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. 
to hear and or to download this episode, along with many others. Go to DiscerningHearts.com. This has been a production of DiscerningHearts.com. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join me next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Wallace.